Welcome to the Contraception Pod. I'm Maya and I'm the Catholic. I'm Cassidy and I'm the Protestant. At a gala at Trump Hotel, never meeting each other prior, Cassidy quietly came up to me in the bathroom and said, What are your thoughts on contraception? This question turned into a never-ending discussion that we decided to take on a podcast. So join us as we discuss contraception and how it affects our world. Hello, Contraception Pod listeners. We're excited today to have a really important episode talking about an anniversary that is coming up. On June 23rd, 1960, the hormonal contraceptive pill hit the market. This is the day that there was a big change. Suddenly, hormonal contraceptives could be um, prescribed as contraception, not just um, for other reasons or for a quote-unquote health problem, but for the specific reason of preventing pregnancy. Yeah, this is, so this day, today that this episode comes out will be June 22nd. So this day is tomorrow. Um, obviously, if you listen to the pod at all, you'll know that we are not celebrating this day um, at all. Um, it's actually a very sad day in history and human history, but there are two very important men. And that's what we're going to be kind of doing today is really recapping on what led up to June 23rd, 1960, to um, the hormonal contraception pill hitting the market. Um, And so there are two very important men, and I want to emphasize that men, they were not women. (laughs) And um, so there were these two very important men in the development of the hormonal contraceptive pill. Their names were Gregory Pincus and John C. Rock. I hope that's how you say his last name, Gregory Pincus, I think, right? I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gregory Pincus was born on April 9th, 1903 in New Jersey. Um, Knowledge was really, really important to his family. His father was a teacher and an editor of a farm journal. When Pincus graduated from high school, he made the move to New York, where he studied at Cornell University. Is that how you say Cornell? Yes, I believe so. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're just, you know, I think that, you know, there's schools like that, that you feel like you're saying it right, but then you're like, you hear graduates say it, you're like, that's not how I ever heard it. (laughs) But okay. Upon graduation, he began studying for his doctorate in genetics and physiology at Harvard University, completing his degree in 1927. Um, By 1930, Pincus began studying the impact hormones have on reproductive processes in mammals. Interestingly, Pincus did not enter this field for social reasons. He wasn't an activist trying to prove a point. Rather, one of his biology mentors had influenced him to take a new perspective that he found quite enticing. Reproductive processes had a chemical component, something that could be grasped through chemical reactions and mathematical equations. He began experimenting on rabbits to see how hormones impacted the development of AIDS and the development of newly conceived rabbits. His work would not be limited to animals for very long. Chemists discovered that Mexican wild yams have properties akin to human hormones. This changed the scope of what Pincus could do with his experimentations. Suddenly, he was not limited by the cost of expensive synthetic hormones, the yam discovery made hormones much more affordable and accessible for use. What's so interesting about this true story is that Pincus was indeed a brilliant scientist. However, he was not a very strong ethicist. After meeting a key scientific partner, John C. Rock, a Catholic gynecologist, infertility specialist, and medical school professor, the two began to do some extremely questionable experimentations. Both Gregory Pincus and John C. Rock found themselves intrigued by the hormones that maintained the lining of the uterus, estrogen and progesterone. A year after reconnecting with one another, 
at a scientific conference in 1952, they began a large trial on 60 patients at the Free Hospital in Massachusetts. They experimented to find what impact progesterone had on women's cycles. The women in the experiment were so dissatisfied with the trial that half of them dropped out. 30 of the women were like, forget it. Pincus and Rock were greatly dissatisfied. Since they could not get the results they wanted through patients who consented to the treatments, they eventually resorted to other means of testing their anti-ovulation concoctions. After connecting with the feminist and birth control advocate, Catherine D. McCormick, a widowed millionaire, they gained the funds necessary to experiment to a greater degree. The G.D. Serral Pharmaceutical Company was willing to work with Pincus and Rock to begin serious trials of their birth control treatments. Yeah, and um, Gregory Pincus had colleagues at Harvard who had been experimenting on mentally ill patients at Worcester State Hospital, and he decided to do the same, which I just think is like, there's a whole article on this that I'll try to remember to link in the show notes, but I just think that's crazy. Like, first of all, they were they were experimenting on mentally ill people and people who just couldn't even say anything for themselves. So people who consented to the treatment who weren't, you know, mentally ill dropped out. And then like, they took it to like poor neighborhoods too. And they would give it to, um, they would experiment on minorities and people who, you know, as we all know, you know, who, as Margaret Sanger, you know, like, you know, for eugenics reasons, you know, and maybe not these two specifically, but that's just so, so interesting to me. And, um, and it's just, it's honestly, to me, just crazy that no one saw through this, you know, at all. Mm -hmm. And there was even one point in his story where he tried to uh, send it to one of his family members who took it, had horrible side effects and politely declined, you know, his next offer of, of this, of birth control, his experimental birth control. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just crazy. It's so sad, isn't it? I mean, you know, he's like to the family member, like, well, sorry, those had some bad side effects. Let's try another one. Family member's like, no, thanks. I'm all stop. <laughs> that was bad. And I'm not doing it again. But of course those poor psychiatric patients could not decline. So when we say like a mental health patient in today's culture, that is such a wide term. You could, it could mean you have slight depression. It could mean you have slight anxiety. We, we're not talking about people who had some depression and were high functioning. We're talking about people who had like psychotic features who were not able to make their own decisions. Um, you know, one of their experiments in 1956 was done under Pincus and he decided to do testicular biopsies on 20 schizophrenic men. And they received no pain numbing medication for this and created a scientific paper. And it was so awful that other scientists reading the research were going, Hey, you know, I don't think this is good. You should stop experimenting like this. But at the time, they didn't have the same ethical requirements that there now are, you know, back in general psychology, which is a very basic class. If you want a degree, you'll probably take it like first or second sem- uh, semester of your whole college experience. Mm-hmm. We talk about what it's what is necessary to experiment, you know, in the scientific process and all that. And there's always the discussion of the importance of having ethical trials, having Um, ethical ways of testing a hypothesis. And when we do that unethically and we harm people, you know, that's always a part of it. You know what I mean? So it's always a part of the history. Yeah. And like, there's this quote from Pincus that, that, you know, women and people would have these side effects and he would literally say, these side effects are largely, sorry, wow, words. These side effects are largely 
psychogenic. Most of them happen because women expect them. Like, and, and, and it says that he would repeat this message over and over and over again, despite his carelessness. He brought this, like, he brought his methods to Puerto Rico, um, where he could, you know, where he had, like, agreed, I guess, with the governor or something, because he, because the governor basically said something along the lines of the, the rich and intelligent people are, are controlling their births, but the but the minorities and the poor people aren't. So yeah, we can use your experimental drugs, and we want to use them on our people again. Minorities, minorities, and minorities, right? Um, and yeah, there was just this, uh, you know, utter carelessness around the people and that they experimented on, which is just so yeah, and just like back to this, like obviously, like the minority, like just focusing on the minority, but also. Just like, I mean, John, like looking at their intentions of doing this. So John Rock, uh, John C. Rock um, was a Catholic and he, you know, said that he wouldn't, he didn't even pursue any of this for science sake, right? He pursued this, um, he, you know, he chose to be an OBGYN um, for the field's relationship to social experiences like human sexuality, marriage, and love, as well as his Catholic faith. So like he delved into this for for his Catholic faith. And it's even said that he like said on national television that he doesn't believe that women or men should have full sexual freedom, which is such an interesting topic that Cassidy and I were talking about just a little bit ago before we got on the episode and just this difference between what sexual freedom means. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. Like what, what you want to tell like the listeners kind of what you were telling me earlier about that? Yeah, it was interesting because so Gregory Pincus makes this comment like, you know, I he says in particular his exact quote is I am against women having sexual freedom, but I hasten to add that I am also opposed to sexual freedom among men. So he stated that it he wasn't doing this. He wasn't trying to develop the pill because he believed that everyone should be sleeping around, which, you know, Gregory would like to come see our culture because it has changed very drastically and birth control is a contributing reason as to why more people are, you know, in so many different things, why people are, um, you know, having sex outside of marriage, rather if they're teenagers, even possibly younger than teenagers at times, um, delaying marriage, um, when they get married, sometimes they don't have any children at all, you know, so it has very drastically changed our culture and our culture's attitude about sexuality. But at the time, it was more controversial to say that you supported sexual freedom because it sounded very deviant. And now, like today's society, we would sound restrictive if we didn't support sexual freedom because it's become like seen as a human rights issue if we believe in sexual freedom versus seeing it as an ethical and a faith-based problem of what do you believe about sexuality? Do you believe that it's fine, you know, to be having sex outside of marriage? Does it have any right context or can you do whatever with whoever, whatever you want? Um, back then, the culture was not as extreme as it, ours is today. But part of what has made that possible is the development of hormonal contraception. Yeah, it's it's a, it's just so interesting how all of this is like flipped on its face. Um, and I don't think that, you know, John, like John C. Rock, you know, I don't think that Rock was thinking, oh, people, I mean, maybe he was, but I don't think like his intention was, oh, people are just going to use this to go have a bunch of sex whenever they want. I think in his mind, it was, you know, obviously an overpopulation issue for him. Um, and then also a, um, like, for him, it was more of like, 
you know, like he would say like, people like to have babies, especially like the poor people is basically what like the primitive people is what he would say. And so like, it was really an overpopulation issue for him. But, um, and, and so like, he would, he would make it okay with his faith, you know, in his head, like saying like, oh yeah, well, uh, you know, it solves for overpopulation. And then like, um, babies won't be conceived, I guess, like, you know, babies won't be conceived when they're not supposed to be, I guess, is basically the whole concept. Um, but obviously that was taken really far. Um, and I think they just both had, if we're looking at this, I just, you know, in discussion. So what was it? So what was um, Pincus? His, his focus was, um, was first of all, like this obsession he had with the hormones and everything. Um, but for him, I feel like it was more the science. And then for rock, it was more the human sexuality and overpopulation and all these things. So really interesting how like they came together and then there's constant, it wasn't just like one trial where the women, like half the women dropped out. It was multiple trials. Um, and it, there were multiple times where people just didn't want to do it and found the side effects horrible again. And again, it was just, it was just, he would just kind of, you know, ah, the side effects aren't that bad, you know, just trial. trial. And, and then they got, through a connection to, through Margaret Sanger, a connection through her, they got a connection to this lady that we mentioned earlier who gave them funding to continue on with their trials, um, which is, I just think it, it's so interesting. Um, and, and, and in the trials that they had to make contraception legal, they had no women testifying. Like, let me make that clear. Like, that's right. You know, like they were saying that in the article is that, they had only men testifying for for this contraceptive pill and how it doesn't harm women when every single one of them, you know, <laughs> you know, because they stopped the, the pill for the men. Right. Um, they stopped the procedures of the men. And then when they're debating for the women, you know, um, they were even stopped in their trial. And um, someone had like asked them about this. Um, sorry, I'm going to find that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is a Nelson pill hearings. Um, the 10 years after its first release, the birth control pill made headlines again during the Nelson pill hearings, a Capitol Hill investigation into the pill's safety. When feminist activists noticed that no women were being invited to testify, they interrupted the proceedings and testified from their seats. Why isn't there a pill for men? Activists L. Alice Wolfenson shouted, why are 10 million women being used as guinea pigs? That's a quote. Insane. Like, can you just imagine that as women in a culture that has become highly feministic and that doesn't put up with women being mistreated, it's interesting that in order to have what feminists believe is such a key part of our quote unquote liberation to have contraception and to have quote unquote, um, like, what is the word they use? Um, not unity, but like be on the same playing field per se as men, you know, contraception you actually paid a great price to get here. Maybe not you in particular, but women in general were not treated well in the development of the contraceptive pill. And so, you know, when it came time to release this pill, so often this is remembered in history as a point of women's liberation. And this just led to so much good for women. And they saw this as very feminist and very um, progressive for women. When in fact, it was done at great cost. First, we talked about, you know, the free hospital in Massachusetts and how patients were unhappy. Half of those that were being tested um, to see how these anti-ovulation pills worked, they were unhappy and they quit. They just dropped straight out of the trial. 
the other people that made it possible for you to go order your abortion, or excuse me, not your abortion, but your birth control pill, um, were psychiatric patients who had no ability to say no to being treated with medications. And um, some research states that after Pincus and Rock would administer these medications to these psych patients, that they would actually cut into their uterus to see how that had impacted them. So if you can imagine just the barbaric nature that was used and the extreme lack of ethics that was a part of the history of this coming to this point, this um, anniversary on the 23rd of June, this is not a sweet day for women. This is a day we should remember the women in the psych hospital and think about how they're they were harmed and how ethics were not followed in the way that this hypothesis was tested. And in general, you know, that this medication was used on these poor women who had apparently, according to some articles we've read, have had their uteruses cut into to check to see how these medications impacted them. So really the 23rd of June should be a day that we grieve and remember those who have been harmed by contraception and, and not just the women prior to its legalization and to its um, release, but also to women of today who are impacted by strokes and other shocking um, symptoms that come out of the use of hormonal contraception. We just recently talked about Haley Bieber, a 25-year-old woman who had a TIA after the usage of her completely legal, completely you know, FDA-approved birth control. Yeah, so this has not and, been a point of good things for women. And like, and just to emphasize that point even more is I want to take you back to like those Puerto Rico trials that they did. The reason they did the, the trials in Puerto Rico was because on mainland USA in the States, it was illegal. Any form of contraception was illegal and banned until um, almost until the 1970s, until like 1969, really. Um, they were banned. So they took this to Puerto Rico. And what's so interesting, especially in this um and this was involved with those trials where the, the women stood up and they were like, you know, why aren't there any women testifying? But they tried to wipe the Puerto Rico trials off um, so that no one really knew about them. They're never mentioned. But the there was a very pill that they released when the FDA approved it. And this was, you know, they went to Puerto Rico. They used it on women. They sterilized, you know, 16 percent of women in Puerto Rico, 16% of, uh, you know, with different, with different, like, experiments they did, basically. And then, and, and like, so basically, Margaret Singer was there, you know, like I said, talking with the governor, trying to sterilize the poor women and give them these contraceptives. And so they, they brought it to the university there. Um, half the people dropped out. Um, women were having terrible side effects and blood, blood clots. And, and within two years of being there, the FDA approved it because they weren't seeing the direct effects upon uh, uh of the of the contraceptive pill they were just being told what was they were being told like you know oh it's helping the quality of life because people are having less children well also these women are having these horrible side effects and um and maybe no they weren't all dying but they were having horrible side effects and and later on many of these women you know reported to being sterilized basically for the rest of their lives so it's it's crazy how you don't hear about any of these because they weren't happening on mainland USA. So basically they packed their bags um, of rock and um, rock and pink. They packed their bags in Puerto Rico once they got the FDA to approve it and boom, 
back in the states they didn't even they just left all those women you know without the pill um not going to say that they should have it but they just left them high and dry in puerto rico as soon as it got approved here and then of course it spread like wildfire across the united states and they were there was a increase in you know strokes which we've talked about in other episodes and all of these different illnesses because of the pill and then of course they had to you know reassess it again but they literally used all the women in the united states as guinea pigs um once they did that and that was that's why there's so many lawsuits and and um lawsuits and just terrible um and terrible um side effects from it and and that's what we get to deal with today and that's what i guess june 23rd celebrates this when the when this pill was released into the market so exactly it caused such dire consequences that even the feminists who were so pro-birth control and were happy about this development were upset and they were saying why aren't you listening to the women who have been harmed by these medications it makes me think of you know how going on a pill which interestingly pincus calls his anti-ovulation pill which not all forms so they do not always stop ovulation sometimes there are those other mechanisms as well where um, the birth control pill can thin the lining of the endometrium as well, which is the intermost lining of the uterus, which is why the birth control pill can also be an abortifacient in some cases. Um, this is such a concerning development, really. You know, women were mistreated as this was made and created. But not only that, women were not able to understand their fertility. Women were just medicating their body and telling it that it was pregnant. And that was one of the reasons why in the original study that he was, the Pincus was doing in the hospital in Massachusetts, the women didn't like how much being on the progesterone pill mimicked pregnancy. They thought like, what am I taking this for? I'm not pregnant. Why do I feel pregnant? I'm feeling all these symptoms that I don't want to deal with right now. And so 30 of the six women dropped out of that study. It made me think about this particular quote from Steve and Candace Waters in their book, start your family, inspiration for having babies. They say, American women are better educated than ever before and in more ways than one. They know about sex, all about it. Since the elementary years, they've been schooled in birth control, preventing STDs, getting an abortion, and more. Yet for all they've learned, more than any generation before them, they're woefully uneducated about their own fertility. That's part of what the birth control pills development has done to women. We've heard you know, sex ed that's mostly talking about birth control and not actually about your reproductive functioning and how your cycle works and how your womb works and the fact that you are not fertile, you're not fertile 31 days a month. But most women believe that in part because of the contraceptive pill that they have to take 31 days a month, right? And so alongside all the harm it caused women in the experimentation, it's also changed our mentality towards our bodies as women because we have come to believe that we have to fear our bodies and how they function, that we have to be afraid of the fact that we can get pregnant. And this often follows women a lot longer than just in our early 20s or in our teens, but sometimes women into their mid to late 20s, early 30s, and even later are still afraid to be pregnant, afraid to be mothers, afraid of their bodies. And so some women go on the birth control pill and stay on it for 10, 20, 30, 40 years because it's all they've ever done. You know, once I had a patient and she was in her 50s or 60s and she would get estrogen withdrawal headaches because she'd been taking birth control for, I believe, more than 30 years. Just the idea that, you know, even once she'd probably 
I would imagine she was probably pretty close to menopause, but she felt so dependent on her birth control that even though she might've been naturally infertile because of her age, she was just going to continue taking it. You know, this is what we've done to women's bodies. We believe that there's something wrong with us and that has to be medicated. And if I can't medicate my fertility, then I'm not free, which is so sad because once you come to understand how your body functions, it's actually super freeing. You know, Maya and I have both spent time working to understand, you know, fertility better. And part of that is because of this podcast. But Maya, would you say when you think about the history of the birth control pill, do you think that it is women who are you know, subscribing to contraception who are maybe going on the pill at age 13, staying on it till they're 34 when they want to have a child. Would you say that in general, women who are going with hormonal contraception or an IUD are more comfortable with their bodies or women who embrace NFP and who have studied out their cycle, which type of women, which type of woman would typically be more comfortable with how her body functions? Yeah, well, that's, that's a really great question. And I think, I think that you can like look literally at people's Instagrams and just see the difference. If you, I was to look up someone who, you know, really like advertised the birth control pill and was all about it. It was on the birth control pill. And even if like, I just knew this person with the birth control pill, they weren't like really advertising it, but were like on it and for it. They're just always talking about like how horrible my body is and like, oh, why do I have to have a period or like, you know, like mm-hmm. they're not having a period, but, you know, or maybe they're having the withdrawal bleed, but they're like, you know, just so annoyed by women's body and like, you know, like literally like saying like, I just wish I could be a man or something, you know, and just, just like never understanding why their body does what their body does and just always mm-hmm. just like, oh, why does my body have to do this? And then the women that it's just, I love going through Instagrams and women who are all about balancing hormones and, you know, really embracing your body for how God made it. It's beautiful because they're working with their body. They're not filling their body with processed foods that are going to, you know, that are going to ruin, you know, their period, have, make them have horrible periods and ruin their moods and all of these things, but they're working with their bodies. They're working with this beautiful system that God has so generously given both you and I, and he's not asking us to be afraid of that body, right? He's asking us to embrace it. And you know what, because of sin, our bodies are not going to be perfect. Right. And that's why we have to do, if we want to be happy, if we truly like, that's, I think a big part of happiness is embracing your femininity and, and embracing your femininity you have to take care of your body and you have to, you know, you do need to balance your hormones sometimes because of, because of the, because of our water, because of our food, because of our processed food, because of our lack of sun, because of all the radiation. And, but that doesn't mean that we need to go put other hormones in our body, or that means to, you know, put our bodies into menopause because we have estrogen dominance. No, it means that we need to, um, it means that we need to work with our bodies and find how to, what vitamins we need and find, you know, what food we need to be eating better and how we can take care of our bodies, you know? Um, and so there, there is this very big difference. Um, and I'm not saying this is, oh, for every lady, like, oh, I just hate my body so much. That's why I'm on contraception or something. Um, or I'm on contraception. Therefore I hate my body or something. No, it's just, um, you know, I think, no, I think, you know, that actually could be it, you know, even if you're not saying that, but no one has told you how beautiful your body is. No one has told you your body is so valued for how God created it. And I think that's what Cassidy and I are here to tell you today. You 
are so valued and you are so worth it because you are beautiful. You are God's princess. And that's what we're here to tell you today. That's why we're telling you that this day, that tomorrow is not a day to celebrate. And the reason that is, is because it told women that your bodies aren't worth it, that your fertility is not worth it, that you are not perfect how you are. And you know what? We may not actually be perfect how we are, but we once were perfect. And that was not with contraception. That was in God's eyes, that was in unity with Christ, right? That was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before sin. And that is what you and I are going to strive to be, you know, to get to every every moment of our lives. But God gave you something so beautiful that you we have just been so blessed with and that we are so thankful for. And that's the beauty of our fertility. He gave us the um, opportunity to be stewards of our fertility. And wow, what can we do with that? But just, you know, you know, just get it back to where it should be, get it back to where it should be without sin, you know, without pain, without, you know, um, without imperfections in our world. And, um, and, you know, and sometimes we have to embrace that suffering and say, you know, um, you know, first of all, like this is, you know, like in the most basic way, like if you're having cramps during your period, like, and it's been this total like new way of looking at it for me too, is like looking at, first of all, you know, I'm thankful that I have, you know, my period so that I can have children in the future. And, Mm -hmm. um, and these cramps are something that I'm going through for that. But I also know that those cramps aren't normal. They shouldn't, you know, they are normal in the day and age that we live in, but also know, okay, I, you know, how can I take this pain to make better come out of it? What can I do to help my body? And, um, and it's just saying like, I need to help my body out. You know, if someone is, you know, if someone's dying on the side of the road, or if there's a cat, like with the broken leg on the side of the road, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, give them a shot, you know, and tell them, okay, you know, like, hope you get better, you know, like, you know, we're going to numb that pain for a little bit. No, we have to set the leg back, you know, someone, you know, with the broken leg, we have to help their body get back to how it was before. We don't just give them pain, you know, something to numb the pain or, you know, and not even numb the pain, you know, (laughs) you know, it's just so interesting to me, like in every other instance of everything in life, we would fix the problem. We would actually look at the problem, but instead with our fertility, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we're not actually going to fix the problem. We're just going to make it worse in the long run. But anyway, so I got it. That was my answer to the question. I just think, I just think that people that are, um, that people who, first of all, are on birth control for health reasons, you know, um, I want to, you know, I'm not like, oh, trying to shame you or telling you that you think your body's bad. But I think that's something that the world has told you is that your body is bad. Um, and, um, and that, this is going to like fix it, you know, but we have to support our bodies. And the second part of that is if you're on contraception, not for health reasons, but because you want to have, you know, sex all the time, well, then you also probably don't, you know, and I'm making it, I'm not, you know, I'm making a very general statement here, but, um, you also probably don't see the beauty of your body. And I'm here to tell you that your body is, is beautiful and it's sacred. And, um, and if you're on contraception because you don't want to have a child, well, then I'd encourage you to see um, the beauty of a child, right? Um, and the beauty that God has given both you and your husband, hopefully, um, to have a child. And there's something so beautiful and sacred in that. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true, though, because 
I've learned, I think, Maya, through our podcast in a deeper way than I knew before we started having these conversations that, you know, the issue of birth control is absolutely not isolated at all. It's a huge, you start looking at the the big heading of birth control and it goes off into talking about fertility, goes off into talking about what you believe about your faith and what you believe um, about relationships and interactions with people and about family and children and about your own life and sacrifice and the willingness to do things for other people. It's such a deep topic that goes beyond popping a pill. But we know that the development of this pill, you know, this was meant to tell our bodies that we are already pregnant. How interesting that today's women, um, for these years that contraception has been available in forms that are harmful to women, it has changed us to actually tell our bodies possibly for 10 or 20 or 25 years at a time that we're pregnant. And then we expect our bodies to change and to go back to normal function when we get off of that. And, you know, Maya was saying how contraception doesn't actually resolve a health problem. The reason for that is putting more synthetic hormones in our body when your doctor probably didn't even take the right blood panel to check your hormonal levels to even see what hormones you actually may be low on or too high on or whatever. They're not checking to balance your hormones. They're just going to flood your body with synthetic hormones to tell your body it's pregnant. And I find it so interesting that Gregory Pincus was so fascinated by the chemical and mathematical parts of reproduction because he did do some interesting experiments and he did discover a lot of things that we didn't know before about reproduction. What's interesting is his friend, John Rock, it said in one article that he went into gynecology because it was one of the easiest types of um, study programs because there wasn't much to know about gynecology at the time. And what does that tell you? Like we should not have, how sad is it that people might at that time in history have gone into gynecology because it was an easy study program. You know, this is not an easy study program. We as women were complex. God created us with unique and amazing. And you're not a program. (laughs) program. (laughs) You know, the, the reproductive system of women doesn't need to be medicated. We do not need synthetic hormones. And also we don't need the birth control pill for our freedom. We don't need the birth control pill in order to be successful and to live fulfilled lives as women. We can live lives that are glorifying to God and we can live lives that are meaningful and special and that have really deep and sweet relationships without the hormonal contraceptive pill. It wasn't this amazing development. I remember in a developmental psychology class in uh, my professor, she was a child when her mother first started taking the birth control pill in the 60s. And she said, I take these so that I don't have to have babies. And she said, oh, that's cool. That's the perspective that women have held, you know, who are maybe in their 60s now themselves, who saw their mother start taking contraception, went back when it was first released, maybe they're in their 50s. And we have to have a change of narrative to understand, first of all, preventing a baby is not some, it's not a virtue. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we've come to that in this culture where we believe that I'm an empowered woman because I do not have a child. What if a child could lead to our greatest dreams? Mm-hmm. What if a child could be our deepest inspiration? And aside from that, maybe it's neither. Maybe you actually have a child that's very difficult or maybe they have a health problem and it's very challenging. You know, it is sanctifying to be a parent and that's a good thing. It's a gift from God to be transformed more into his likeness because of the hard things we go through. And so of all things you could sacrifice for, your family is worth it. Your potentially future children, they're worth it. You as a woman, your body, your fertility, it's a gift and it's beautiful. If you've had an experience with hormonal contraception, please know that we didn't create this um, 
this episode today to be condemning anyway, but just because we wanted to cover a part of the history that's not widely known. So on the anniversary of you know June 23rd, we're remembering the release of the hormonal contraceptive pill. And we're saying that this did not improve the market, but has hurt us deeply and that women deserve better than the hormonal contraceptive pill. Thank you listeners for tuning in today. God bless you. Please feel free to DM us on Instagram with any of your thoughts.